Nick Everett, thanks so much for joining us today. I'd like to start with the murder earlier this month, and if any listeners think I'm being hyperbolic describing it as murder, they need to check their facts. The murder earlier this month by the Israeli army of Shirin Abu Akla, a senior and much-respected Palestinian journalist for the Al Jazeera network in the occupied West Bank city of Jenin. It led to a wave of anger among people of conscience throughout the world. What, in your view, was the significance of this crime? Was it designed as a perverse message, perhaps, by the Israeli government, a kind of brutal warning to journalists not to expose the crimes of the occupation? Um, I'd agree with you, Alex. I think it, it certainly has all the hallmarks of a um, execution-style killing, um, deliberately targeting a journalist who is well-known, not just in Palestine, but throughout the Arab world for her reporting uh, on the injustices that Palestinians face. Um, and I think the way in which um, the supposed investigation was handled, where there was an attempt to put the blame on um, Palestinian fighters um, when there was clearly uh, evidence pointing to the hand of the Israeli state, uh, the attack on her funeral, um, which was just such a, a blatant um, violation um, of her dignity and a, an attack on um, Palestinians as a whole. I think all this points to um, a, a stance from the State of Israel of, of complete intimidation um, and a de- determination just to smash any resistance in its path. And it perhaps goes without saying it's, it's barely necessary to comment on it, but of course the American government's response and the still the Morrison government in power at the time was, to say the least, uh, inadequate, uh, going through the motions of calling for an investigation. But uh, we've seen in the subsequent weeks since Abu Akhla's murder, there's been no uh, real investigation and no real pressure placed on the Israeli government by, by the Western world to see justice for Shireen and her family. Yep. In fact, we did actually see 57 US lawmakers call for an investigation by the FBI, but um, Biden uh, made it very clear that he saw his, um, Israel's role, the state of Israel's role to investigate itself um, and uh, echoed the call of the Israeli government for um, the Palestinian Authority to hand over one of the bullets that killed her, um, thereby you know, putting any evidence in the hands of Israel and ensuring a complete whitewash. Indeed. Now, keeping the focus for a moment on the question of the media and its coverage, or one might say lack of coverage of Israel's ongoing crimes in the occupied Palestinian territories, one couldn't help but compare and contrast the brave, forthright, truth-telling journalism of the now-martyred Shirin Abu Akhla and the craven, cowardly, so-called journalism of some of the supposedly most esteemed media outlets in the world, like, for instance, the Washington Post and the New York Times, both of which obfuscated what actually took place in Jenin by referring to Abraqla's murder as anything but a murder. She died in clashes, she was killed by unknown forces, etc. It would be almost laughable uh, if it wasn't so serious, Nick. What's also very striking is the context in which this took place, given the Western media has been more than happy to extensively cover Russia's crimes in Ukraine, but to say the least, Borks when it comes to exposing the crimes of its friends and allies. Your thoughts? Yeah, I again, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, the mainstream media were forced to report um, 
on Shrin's killing and on her funeral because she was an American citizen and a journalist, a mainstream, relatively mainstream journalist working for Al Jazeera. Um, but as you said, they just echoed uh, the State of Israel's attempts to obfuscate what happened. Um, but I think that should also be put in the context of um, uh, rising violence by the Israeli state in recent months, which has just got um, zilch reporting. Um, I mean, just to uh, make this clear, uh, yesterday um, the, there was a, a Palestinian teenager uh, killed in Bethlehem, Zaid Guman, aged just 15. Um, and in the last week, we've seen the killing of um, Gaith Yamin, just a 16-year-old in Nablus, um, Amjad Fayed, 17 in Jenin. In fact, we've seen 15 teenagers killed uh, this thus far, out of, and, and in fact, 50 Palestinians um, killed by Israel um, this year. So this is an, really an exponential increase in the level of violence, and it goes hand in hand with um, rising settler attacks and the rejection of the Israeli Supreme Court of a petition uh, against the eviction of about a thousand Palestinians in a rural southern part of the West Bank near Hebron, known as Masata Yatta. So um, we're just seeing an escalation of the violence on all fronts. And uh, this um, reporting is, is a little bit of reporting in the context of, of silence um, in, in the face of, of this onslaught. There was also a shooting in the East Jerusalem neighbourhood of Sheikh Jarrah, where there are ongoing efforts by the Israeli state to evict Palestinians from their homes and replace them with illegal settlers. And we've also seen recently Israeli attempts to engineer, I would argue, a possible casus belli, an excuse for war, through a series of provocations around the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the third holiest site in the Muslim world. As you say, the, the violence from the Israeli state is escalating, Nick. Do you think Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett is possibly looking to launch yet another war on the people of Palestine, perhaps partly with a view to consolidating what is still a fairly new and unstable government? And we know the script, don't we, Nick, in terms of there's a series of provocations and, and murders and attacks on Palestinian people. And then when there's the slightest hint of Palestinian resistance to those attacks, well, suddenly there's an, ex an excuse for war. Do you think that's, that script is playing out yet again? Yeah, I mean, I think in many respects this is an ongoing war that is being carried out now uh, in the occupied West Bank, um, perhaps not with the intensity of the bombings of um, Gaza we've seen in recent years. And I think it's part of a pattern we've seen over the last 12 months of Naftali Bennett basically testing the Biden administration and uh, pushing harder because he's facing uh, no resistance whatsoever from the, the Biden administration. Um, so you know, I think that's the context. Um, I think the Ukraine war obviously has contributed to this where um, it provides a certain cover and uh, the media's attention being elsewhere and so on. Um, and in fact, he's attempted to maintain friendly friendly relations with both the Putin administration and Biden at the same time. But clearly the White House is, is just not putting up any resistance. Um, what, what has, I think, constrained the State of Israel in the past in terms of its bombing of uh, Gaza has been the upsurge of, of protest. Uh, here in Australia and the US, 
um, in Europe, uh, um, um, in all of the countries that are supporters of Israel. So I think that's really the key message we need to draw out of this is that um, the only thing that's going to push back the state of Israel is um, mass protest both inside Palestine and outside. Turning now, Nick, to domestic politics, what expectations can we realistically have of the incoming Labor government? A lot of commentators who broadly support the fight for Palestinian rights and who mean well have convinced themselves the Australian Labor Party is committed to the peaceful negotiation of an end to Israel's occupation of Palestinian land in the form of a two-state solution, which for many years was considered the best, indeed the only possible way to bring justice to the Palestinian people. How committed do you think the incoming Albanese government will be to supporting the Palestinian fight for self-determination? Is there any cause for hope? Well, the uh, Biden administration in the US, the Johnson government in Britain, um, virtually all of the Western European powers formally support a two-state solution. I think this tells us very little about their um, real intentions in supporting Israel. Um, in terms of Australia, we've long seen a policy of bipartisan support for Israel. What's distinguished the Labor Party from the um, coalition and the, the previous Morrison and Turnbull governments is um, uh, the Labor Party having committed a, at a national conference to recognise Israel. Really, I think all this amounts to... Um, is not much. It's diplomatic recognition from the Palestinian Authority, which I think itself is a, a collaborator regime and part of the problem that Palestinians are facing. Um, and it, it would it would add one more, if Australia does recognise Palestine, it would simply add one more country out of um, about 70% of UN member states who have already recognised Palestine. Some of those UN member states um, actually sell arms to Israel while at the same time recognising Palestine. In the case of the Labor Party, um, I think Penny Wan has shown her colours on a number of occasions in terms of her response. Um, it, most recently, back in February, uh, when um, asked about, about Amnesty's uh, report that described Israel as an apartheid state, uh, she said that she thought the term apartheid was unhelpful um, for her, uh, more important was getting the two parties together and continuing to negotiate. But, but given the, the gross inequality between the two sides uh, here, I think um, you know this is a, a recipe for more of the same and I think we should have no faith or hope that the Labor Party is going to um, take any action to upset Israel, uh, to push back um, Israel's agenda. And, and I think that really points to the necessity of seeking to revive a Palestine solidarity campaign here in Australia, and in particular a campaign of boycotts, divestments and sanctions that can really hit Israel where it hurts. Just on that final point, Nick, and we'll, we'll end it here, on the question of the importance of building a international solidarity campaign with the people of Palestine. There was an event uh, here in Perth on Saturday, marking 74 years since Al-Nakba, the catastrophe when Israeli forces launched their assaults to conquer Palestinian land and villages. And the event also served to commemorate and express people's anger at the murder of Shirin Abu Akla. If people listening to this interview are themselves feeling angry about what they've heard, how can they get involved uh, in the local Palestinian solidarity campaign? 
Well, um, I'd encourage people to get in touch with Friends of Palestine. You can find our website, uh, FOPWA, F-O-P-W-A dot org, um, and you can join Friends of Palestine there, subscribe to our emails, and you can also find Friends of Palestine on Facebook. And uh, we're part of, I think, a, a growing network around Australia and around the world that is um, putting the spotlight on Israel's crimes. And there are plenty of opportunities, I think, in future events to be involved in that important solidarity work.